Thank you so much for tuning in, race fans. It means a lot. If you enjoy our podcast, a great way to support us is by leaving a rating or review. And if you include your Formula One hot take or unpopular opinion in your review, we'll shout them out on the show. You just see just Ferrari red bread and Max Verstappen meat and cheese. That's, that's, that's the sandwich. And it's like prime idiot sandwich. It's chaos, but it's Singapore. Welcome back to Gravel Trap F1. I'm Christina. I'm Caroline. Singapore brought the heat and the excitement. It started off slow, but ended with all of us on the edge of our seats. But you might have noticed at the start of the race, Lance Stroll was missing. And in today's formation lap, we'll discuss how his crash and park Ferme led to that. In the Grand Prix, we head to 2008, the first ever Singapore Grand Prix, the infamous crash gate. At the checkered flag, I found out that there's an Am I the Asshole section for F1 on Reddit, and the stories are amazing, so we'll be discussing them. Let's get into it, because I can't wait. Alrighty-roo, let's get into the formation lap, which Lance Stroll did not get to participate in this week because he um fox smashed his car into a barrier i'm sorry what you know the gunter steiner quote the gunter steiner quote oh yes he fox she didn't just pull that out of nowhere we're starting (laughs) we're starting a bit pretty racy today here at uh gravel trap we're just going right in we said this is not the f1 kids broadcast here we go. <laughs> this is not for the kids. Could you imagine if they ever, if they ever put Gunter Steiner on the F1 Kids broadcast? If they ever interviewed oh him, can you imagine how crazy that would be? I think he'd have to be so filtered. Anyway, Lance Stroll crashed, and he damaged his car quite heavily. And he did inevitably end up not racing just due to feeling very shaken and stirred, but also partially because... There are so many time constraints placed on the teams, especially post-qualifying for the start of the race, that it would have been a really big challenge for them to fix the car. And all of those regulations are tied together in a neat little word we're quite all familiar with, parc fermé. And that is actually two words, and in French it means closed park. And for Formula One and for most motorsports in general, it just is talking about either a specific area, like post-race, we see all the cars put into their little corral there, or it's talking about a group of regulations that are dictating what work can and cannot be done on a car. Because the whole purpose of it is just to make sure that whatever car and its setup that you had during qualifying is what you have during the race. Make sense? Makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're we're keeping we're keeping the setup where it is. Were you gonna ask a question, or were you just breathing, Caroline? I was just breathing, but I I had a question in my brain. It's like you read my mind. That's wild. I was like, should I ask this question? I don't know. That's crazy. You can ask. She heard my brain breathe, guys. What does that mean for Lance then when he crashed? Point one is that the teams have to say, hey, this is what we have to fix on the car. And they submit that to the FIA and their technical delegate because each car has a technical delegate that's like staring them down, kind of being like, 
I'm watching you because mm-hmm. you don't want a team to, you know, get shifty eyes and to think, hmm, nobody's watching. I can I can sneak this little upgrade in here. Sure. We don't want that. We want things to be fair and even. And just like any sports where there's a ref, fixing up a car is part of the game. So they have an official there watching. So first they have to submit. The team has to say, hey, this is the list of things we have to fix. And sometimes it'll be a very specific list. And sometimes it'll just be like, everything the car and and i have a feeling it was one of those times where they were just like you saw it right yeah everything so they would submit a list apart including the fact that they have to get permission to replace the survival cell and that's the main monocoque that everything is attached to and that keeps the driver safe which is why lance is fine but then the other thing that it means for the team and kind of the the big difficulty is that Teams have to seal their cars starting two hours after qualifying. And they can only unseal them and start work on them five hours before the formation lap. So that's seven hours to get the car back, to get everything reattached onto their spare survival cell. Because don't don't forget, they're not allowed to have a spare backup car just ready to go. They can have a survival cell that's attached, has like very specific items connected to it, but it's very bare bones like they're allowed to have like six different small pieces attached to it kind of a thing i could actually probably pull up and should probably pull up the full list of what that is but it's uh, they're not allowed to do much of anything so that was one of the reasonings or probably part of the decision making for lance not to race at all is you know he's not feeling great but also are they would they have had time to actually fully assemble that car with that time constraint when I had that thought, too, like, how much of the car are they really going to be able to fix? <laughs> and I had the thought, at what point did they decide that Lance was not going to be racing the next day? And how much of the car had they fixed yeah. before they made that decision? Because I was like, I feel bad for all those mechanics if they were busting their booties like they do because they work really hard on these teams to get this car right. And then it's like, for medical reasons. He's not going to yeah. race, which I think was the right call. I do. I'm not saying he should have raced. That was a hard means, hit. But no, I yes, it was. But I mm-hmm. I just had the thought. I was like, how much of the car did they fix before they made that call? I don't know. Do they not have a reserve? They're not allowed to use their reserve. I'm glad you brought up the question because yes. I was also going to bring it up. Yes. <laughs> so in order to race a reserve, they have to participate in a session before the actual race. They have to have driven on the track. If not, they're not allowed to bring in a reserve. So basically, if your driver gets injured at a convenient point in the weekend, a la Daniel Ricardo, you can have your reserve driver hop in for a practice session and qualify. It's not the same as an IndyCar. In IndyCar, it's the car that has qualified, not the driver. In Formula One, the driver has to qualify with the car. They're a team. My husband asked me that question this weekend, and I said, Christina's told me this answer before. <laughs> Here it is. I have. Yes. Uh, I actually, amazing. I had to go in and dig on this the other day because somebody like very pointedly was like, but what about curfew? Like, can't they ask for an exemption for curfew? Curfew and pack fermé are two separate regulations. Mm. Curfew covers the times that they're allowed to work on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. On Saturday to Sunday, there's no curfew, so teams can work as long as they want, but they have to do it within the constraints placed on them 
by Pak Fatme. So like their media people can live stream deep into the night or whatever it is they do, make those funny little edits of, I don't know, I don't, I don't really know what their media people do. I imagine it's the same nonsense I do. Well, and it begs the question, let's just say hypothetically, if Lance had crashed on Friday and wasn't feeling well, did they have a reserve there? I don't even know if Felipe Drogovic was there. I think Stoffel was there. Okay. I want to okay. say Stoffel was there because uh, it's horrible. But at some point or another, someone um, who wasn't aware who Stoffel was, that he was actually a driver. No. I believe it was on TikTok, said that he was like, who's this hot mechanic? I'm dead. And then people... People on Twitter have been roasting this person, like a screenshot being like, Aww. how do you not know who Stoffel Van Dorn is? And I'm like, you do realize this is like your hyperfixation. And yeah. some people are casual with this. You are the abnormal one, y'all. It's, it's not true. normal to know as much as we do. <laughs> like, That's so true. That's so back true. Back it up a bit. <laughs> well, thanks for teaching us about Park, Park Filme today. Nailed it's my it. best, my best French accent. You're welcome, everyone. But one of these days, I'm gonna commandeer the checkered flag and just bring you guys more and more ridiculous French words. I love and it. And see how you do. Well, for today's Grand Prix segment, we, of course, as per usual, are gonna take a look at some history at Singapore. And while it's not extensive history. There's still history to be had because I feel like something always happens. Always. At Singapore. From the first round. Every time. I kid you not. I feel like that should be the tagline of Singapore. Something always happens. We don't know what it is, but it's something and it always happens. But we first started to see Formula One-esque style of racing in 1961 in Singapore. While it was not Formula One itself... It was actually called Formula Libre and also Australian Formula 2 raced in okay. 1961. It was known as the, and I know this is not politically correct, but it is historically what it was called, people. So I'm prefacing with that. It was called the Orient Year Grand Prix. It was located at the Thompson Road Grand Prix circuit, and it's a street circuit in Singapore. Not the same as the Marina Bay because it was hosted on Thompson Road. Hence, Thompson Road, Grand Prix Circuit. Um, but it hosted, as I said, Formula Libre and Australian Formula 2, not Formula 1. It was rename, renamed to the Singapore Grand Prix in 1966, which is kind of what helped inspire what we now know as the Singapore Grand Prix for Formula 1. Um, it was actually shortly... It, the reason it wasn't called that before was because before then, Singapore had not become a sovereign country. It became a sovereign country in 1965. Right. And so with it starting in 1961, they couldn't really call it the Singapore Grand Prix because Singapore wasn't really a sovereign country. So the event was then discontinued after 1973 and um, a variety of reasons as to why have kind of been suggested, but... One of the reason was one of the reasons. A couple of the reasons were an increase in traffic, the high danger and unsuitability of the track, and the inconvenience of having to close the roads for the event and fatal accidents during 1972 and 1973. Because remember, they had just become a sovereign state. So you're asking a new sovereign state to close down a bunch of roads for an event. I mean, you ask an old sovereign state to do that, and sometimes it even doesn't go well. That's the truth. <laughs> that is the truth. But let's fast forward a little bit to the 21st century, 
And in 2007, there was an agreement made that in 2008, a five-year deal was going to be signed by Singapore GP PTE Limited and the Singapore Tourism Board and our boy, Bernie Ecclestone. Bernie! They were announcing that in 2008, a five-year deal was going to be signed called the Singapore Grand Prix. The race was held at, yep, you guessed it, Marina Bay Circuit, Street Circuit, Marina Bay Street Circuit, excuse me. The race was actually co-funded by the government of Singapore, who covered $90 million out of the total $150 million it took to put on the Grand Prix. Yeah, they That's fronted. So many dollars. They fronted in the a early lot 2000s. That's yes. So many dollars. Yes, they were very Wait. excited. Is that is that accounting for inflation or is that back in the day money? So you also you have know? to remember 2008 was when, I mean, I, I know in America it was when we saw the housing crisis. So oh, right. there was there was a lot going on in America in 2007, 2008. So I don't know what it looked like internationally. I don't know what it looked like in Singapore, but I know that it was $90 million out of the total $150 million that it took to put on the show. But don't worry. It sold out. They had all kinds of packages and features. And it honestly probably felt a little bit like what it's like, what it was like when they did Miami last year and doing Vegas this year. I mean, like they pulled out all the stops. They had a fashion show after the race that was like there. It was a whole thing. So it sold out and it was the first nighttime event in F1 history which I thought was pretty interesting. That's pretty late in the game of F1. 2008 was the first nighttime event we saw. And which... Jeez. Yeah, I know. Which is kind of nuts to think That's, about. Yeah. But... That is wild. That wasn't the only crazy stuff that happened at the 2008... Wait, 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 wait. Singapore Grand Prix. Where was it? I had a, I had a note somewhere of oh. how many light bulbs they had to use... For the first one, let me see if so I can So for the first one, yes, for the first one, they use these like projector like screens and and light bulbs to try to light up the circuit. Philips.com, and you might know Philips from having their name slapped on almost every light bulb in your house, I bet. Ah, yes. They were the ones who lit the first Singapore Grand Prix. They partnered with someone named Valerio Maoli. And sounds like a sauce. 1500 lighting projectors placed 14 meters apart, lighting only from one side of the track mm -hmm. and oh. to achieve a daylight esque, uh, yes, esque amount of, of lumens. 2008 was a very exciting year, not only because it was the first Singapore Grand Prix for Formula One, but because there was so much that happened even within the race. While we had so many things happening outside of the race. For those that know a little bit about their F1 history, know what happened in 2008. For those that don't, don't worry. We're going to tell you. And in, in 2008, Felipe Massa was driving for Ferrari, and he started on pole, which sounds very familiar to this past weekend. Yes. However, it didn't end the same way as it did this past weekend because Felipe Massa did not win. 2008 had a very tight title fight. Also not like what we saw this year, <laughs> but tight title fight, which you might know a little bit about from seeing some headlines this year because Felipe Massa is still talking about it, but we won't go yeah. there. So Fernando Alonso, who we all know and love, went on to win the Singapore Grand Prix in 2008. 
However, it was a bit controversial because it was later discovered that the Renault team, which is the team that he was driving for in that race and that year, ordered their other driver, Nelson PK Jr. Emphasis on the junior. Don't want to get our timelines mixed up. Nelson PK Jr. was told by the team to crash intentionally, allowing for a safety car that was also incredibly advantageous for his teammate, Fernando Alonso. Coincidence? I think not. So for those that don't remember, obviously, oh. the truth was revealed and uh, they were suspended for a time and it was dealt with accordingly. But it did cast a slight... I mean, it, that That is kind of how Singapore is remembered in a lot of ways as the infamous Fernando Alonso crash crash gate. Yes. For those that have heard of it, by its street term, Crashgate, this is the one. <laughs> this is the one. This would be Crashgate. 2008, Singapore. Rah, rah. But Singapore has always been a location that brought a lot of emotion, drama, and incredible stories for Formula One. I'm not going to go into them all because I could tell you one from every single year that it's been there. Um, so if you haven't yet, go back. But I will say in particular, if you haven't, Go back and watch the 2017 Singapore Grand Prix because the start. That's the one I watched this week. Yeah. The start, I, the start was crazy. And you'll see some really familiar faces and names. And it was an important year for our friend Sebastian Vettel and for the team Ferrari because he had only three points separating him and Lewis Hamilton for, once again, a very close title spot. Uh, Why going is it into always Ferrari here. It is. It is. Ferrari seems to have quite a history here at, at Singapore. So does Red Bull and so does Mercedes. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of their domain. But anyways, he had only Sebastian Vettel had only three points separating him and Lewis Hamilton for the title spot going into the Singapore Grand Prix. Once again, we have a Ferrari starting on pole with Sebastian Vettel. I'm starting to notice a trend. Uh, and his teammate was behind him which was Kimi Raikkonen and Max Verstappen a much younger Max Verstappen was behind him not quite in the rocket ship we see today but that's all right at the start a first corner collision between Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen and Red Bull's Max Verstappen led to the retirement of all three drivers and if you get a chance to go back and look at it it honestly looks like a poor Max Verstappen sandwich. I mean, you just see it just Ferrari red bread and Max Verstappen meat and cheese. Like, that's, that's that's the sandwich. And it's like prime idiot sandwich. It was it's chaos, but it's Singapore. <laughs> so something's got to happen in Singapore. Um, and Vettel's title. It was it was a big deal for Sebastian Vettel because, again, he had three, those three points separating him and Lewis Hamilton, who was not in the sandwich. And so Lewis Hamilton took full advantage, went on to win the race from fifth on the grid, and extended his championship lead over Vettel from three points to 28. And at that point, hope started to be lost. Uh, but yes, Singapore was one of the races that was canceled due to COVID in 2020 and 2021 due to government and international regulations, but finally returned again last year when we saw Checo Perez take the win for Red Bull. Fun fact, at one time, Kevin Magnuson held the fastest lap at Singapore 
from being in a hoss. However, unfortunately, that came to a close this year because with the track changes, it did shave off about 10 seconds, causing it to be much faster. And so Kevin's Kevin's record has been replaced. But man, what a source of pride and what a minute trivia question that was for a long time that was like, who holds the fastest lap in Singapore? Because I bet you won't guess it. It was True. K-Megan the Haas. A very popular discussion topic online on the website Reddit is a segment called Am I the Asshole? Or AITA. Uh, interesting. The old Reddit. Ye old Reddit. <laughs> Incidentally, I, I took a peek. There are some... Uh, in some articles there about F1. Amazing. And I thought we we could look at some of these articles, uh, or these these stories from individuals inquiring whether or not they are the asshole, and get uh, your take on those particular ones. Oh my goodness! So uh, buckle up. The the first headline is, "Am I the asshole for wanting to watch F1?" No, never. <laughs> That's not the whole story. Oh, I'm but, like, what? <laughs> that's just the title. That's like an that's insult. That's an insult to all of our listeners. That's just an insult to all of us. <laughs> so the story goes, a gentleman and his fiance were going to take their dog for a walk and spend the day out uh, on a race day. And they had planned their whole day together. And the race was at two o'clock. And he said, as long as you know we can do all this stuff and go to lunch and be back by two, it'll be great because I want to watch the race. And she says, okay, great. I'll be ready at this time and we'll head off and do those things. He goes for a jog, comes back from his jog, and she's not ready. And she says, nope, we have to clean the house. The house is dirty. Uh, we have to clean the house. And he's, he's, he's you know, before we go. So he agrees. He says, yeah, the house is dirty. It, it'll tighten our timeline a bit, but sure. So he goes and helps and they get the house ready and they're about to leave. And he's like, this is a really tight timeline here. I don't know if we can make it all, you know, but I guess worst case scenario, I'll just watch a few, the first few laps on my phone at the pub. And then I can just watch the highlights later. And that compromise apparently didn't fly with the fiance. She, uh, it, it caused a row. I, she got very upset and accused him of wanting to, you know, that, that li watching live sports was more important than spending time with her and it went back and forth, and he wants to know, is he the asshole for wanting to watch F1? It sounds like there might have been some other extenuating circumstances that might have led to some of the tension, uh, yeah. because in his defense, he prior like, there was prior communication that this was a priority for him, and they did the time spending together stuff before the F1 watching. And so I have to say, purely because he communicated beforehand, hey, I'd like to watch this at 2 o'clock, so, like, what do you want to do between now and then? That's why I don't think – that's why I think he's oh, fine. Yeah. But, again, I'd love to hear her side of the that's story. That's always so... the thing, is that, like <laughs> – Yeah. There, there are some um, of these where – you're you're looking at it sideways and being like we're not getting the full story or we're getting a very distorted version of the story and every once in a while you get one where you're just sure. like overall you're probably an asshole but in this situation no so you know no. in this specific weekend definitely not the asshole like straight up 
Yeah. You said you wanted to watch this, and she's kind of a butt munch for not, you know, being respectful of him and his interests. Like, this is a time-sensitive yeah. one, you know? The consensus of the uh, commenters was that he is not an asshole. Yeah. And they, yes. based on the fact that she pulled a, a last-minute change and said, oh, no, we're not leaving now. We have to clean the house. And the fact that she didn't accept his compromise, which I thought was a extremely gracious compromise to be like, oh, yeah. I'll just watch 10 laps on my phone and then the highlights later. That that was immense to me. There's something bigger in their relationship other than, and that's what everyone seems to think is that this isn't about the racing. This is about, this is a bigger no. thing. Yeah. That was my first thought. That was my first thought. There's something else. Story number All two. Right, Am I the asshole for refusing to watch F1? Probably. <laughs> 43-year-old female says, my husband, 54-year-old male, came out as a Formula One fan four years ago. As if, like... <laughs> as, as if that's, like, a traumatic experience. I mean, uh, was he was he closeted okay. for a while and then came out? <laughs> I didn't realize we needed to have events where we announce ourselves. Got got to have F1 a team fans. support reveal. Was it was it new oh or had gosh. it been a secret for most of their marriage? Uh, what they've been living together for nine years and okay. for the first five apparently he kept it a secret. How? He's been trying to he's been trying to get me into it, but the thing is I don't like racing cars and I can't stand the noise or even the commentator's voice on TV. In my time zone, it's on in early mornings, and I don't like watching TV before lunch. His daughters, who are in their late teens uh, and from a previous marriage, started supporting the sport, and they watch it together, Sunday morning in the family room. I find it a cute father-daughter's bonding thing, and they know I won't participate in it because my dislike hasn't changed over the time despite his efforts. Cue to today, early morning in a cold winter Sunday, Southern Hemisphere, Daughters are not at home. I woke up, went to the bathroom, and when I came back to our bedroom, my husband was watching TV in a very quiet volume, waiting for the race to start. I found it unpleasant and asked him to mute the TV until the race started. He said no. I asked again, and then he got up, got dressed, told me I was kicking him out of my bed when it was cold outside, and went to watch the race downstairs. The broadcast finished a few hours ago, but he's still mad at me. So, Redditors, am I the asshole? Did I kick him out unknowingly, I guess? Am I the asshole for kicking him out of bed? Why did she have to be in the room? Why didn't she go somewhere else? Like, okay, here's here's the thing for me. Is it's like, it would be one thing to be like, hey, can I grab you your headphones? And offer to do that. Or like, well, I was going to ask, when was this? When was this? Because it might have been when you couldn't put headphones True. True. to your TV. But still, Last year. Yeah. Like, like okay, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I'm sorry, but the race isn't even on yet and you're annoyed. Like. She, it sounded just... like she would let him watch the race. It was pre-race. She wanted it muted. That was it. I y will openly say <laughs> that my first, my husband's first attempt at getting me into F1 did not work. And so while I wasn't clearly as annoyed by the sounds and things as this woman is, I can understand somebody being annoyed by the mm -hmm. sounds of something. And I don't think, I think if it's associated as something that is a father daughter bonding experience, I can understand 
maybe having the expectation or rule that he's not going to watch it in their bedroom because their daughters aren't going to watch it in their bedroom with them. Maybe, maybe they would watch them in the living room. They have other TVs that he can watch on. If it's early in the morning, maybe she wants to go back to sleep and that's what beds are for. And so I don't really feel like she's the worst just because she doesn't like it. I mean, not everybody's going to like it. That's okay. And like, she seems to be like, she seems to tolerate it and she seems to like understand why it's special to them. But I mean, I understand if there's something that's really annoying to listen to, I will just go crazy until I'm not listening to it anymore. So if it really bothers her, I mean, most people can agree that she's not the asshole. I get it. it sounds mm-hmm. like they're yeah, in, a, I don't think so. in a situation where they don't have heat in the, in the whole house. And that's uh. why he was complaining about like going out into the cold and he had to go downstairs um, but yeah, the consensus was that, um, that she's not the asshole. The bedroom is for sleeping. I, I would say what, yeah. what makes the asshole for me is that the better thing to ask, I would have think would have been, are you going to watch the whole race in bed? Like establish, okay, are you only just like waiting for the race to start and then you'll go downstairs? It was the automatic assumption that like she deserved to be more comfortable in the bed than he did and not having a full conversation about it and deciding where each of them would go. Like that's what makes it kind of an asshole move on her part in my mind is that she kind of just said, this is what I want to happen and didn't have a conversation about it. Cause either way, one of them has to well, compromise. I don't think that she like not full ass. She didn't mind him like, watching it in bed. She just didn't want to listen to it. She asked him until to it yeah. started. Like once it started, yeah. it, it sounded until like she would be okay with that there too. So, yeah. welcome to Relationship Counseling with Gravel Trap. Uh, <laughs> we cover the spectrum. Yeah, we have marriage, dating, Now we single. have, our, for our final story, very current event. Am I the asshole for not wanting to take my brother to the F1 race in Las Vegas later this year? Definitely not. <laughs> this it's one's cost very... cost you a whole college fund. Interesting. Jeez. This is this seems fresh. This seems this like one very is fresh. fresh. This is from three months ago. For context, I'm a 19 year old male. I was able to save up enough money to be able to buy two tickets and hotel room for the F1 race race in Vegas this year. Oh wow! I've been wanting to go wow. to this race since F1 first announced it, and been saving up money for it. Well, now that I have the tickets and hotel room, my parents want me to take my little brother, 13 years old. I tried explaining to them that I want to go with either one of my cousins or one of my close friends that are closer to my age. I'm leaving it up to a raffle to decide who gets to go to make it as fair as possible. Well, now my parents, especially my mom, are demanding that I add my little brother to the raffle so he, too, has a chance of going to the race. Don't get me wrong. I love spending time with my brother. I love him to death. But I don't want to be responsible for him. In Las Vegas. At all times. And I don't want to have to pay for his food and expenses while over there. And to be honest, he's not a big fan of F1. I explained this to my mom and she refuses to understand and is saying that I'm a terrible brother for not wanting to add my brother to the raffle. Jeez. Obviously not the asshole. Okay. Like, come on. I feel like they're your tickets that you bought with your money. So you have the freedom to decide who gets that other ticket because guess what? They're a really lucky person that you're even giving them a free ticket to Las Vegas. That's so generous of you. You don't even have to do that much, I feel like. And even beyond that, I would say to my mom, I'd be like, if you want him to go so bad, buy him a ticket. 
and buy him some hotel. Yeah. And he can hang out with me. That's fine. But I'm not paying for him to go because, as, and especially the whole he's not really a huge F1 fan thing. I'm like, if he was like a diehard, like has the posters on his wall, I would kind of be like, yeah. But don't you love your brother more than your friend? But if he doesn't even like it, and, and, I understand a 19-year-old not wanting to be responsible for a 13-year-old in Las yeah, Vegas. Yeah, 100%. I actually feel like that's a really responsible move, Mom. He's being really responsible. Like, very responsible. <laughs> not just that, but, like, going to yeah. Vegas when you're under 21 in general just seems like such a hassle. Like, yes, you're going there for a race mm-hmm. and for a specific event, and so it, you know, breaks down a lot of the barriers in, in that sense, but... The Vegas experience is really, like, it is catered to that specific age group where you can do the, like, very specific Vegas things. So it just, it's kind of pointless to me in my mind to bring somebody that young who is just going to be there. That's the consensus for everybody. And and I actually uh, responded to this one because I wanted to weigh (laughs) in. Because I I have a background as an event planner, and I'm like, you're a 19-year-old kid on your own going to Las Vegas, who is now holding a tentpole event, the largest event this city has ever thrown in terms of size and scope and modification of the city and accommodations. Yeah. And it's the first year they're ever putting on said event. So the number of things that can go wrong, like think like all the complaints after the first year of Miami, think Firefest. think like they are converting this city into a theme park that that places like coda are built for the things that could go wrong and be that would be really difficult for a 19 year old to try and navigate not to mention the underbelly of las vegas and a 19 year old being exposed to everything from mugged to being hood, hoodwinked by yeah. some you know locals who know that tourists are coming to town he's going to be a prime target so do not take a 13 year old with you step one step two take someone way older with you that may be able to navigate some hairy situations yeah you know this goes wrong and we have to get out of town or we have to go over you know talk to these people or i don't know there's just so many so much that could go wrong in a first year event like this and bring somebody that's going to have your Mm -hmm. back don't bring not that 13 year brother's not going to have your back i'm sure he would but i don't know that he'd be able to hold his own in having your back bring your bring your cousin or your friend also, it sounds like so. the mom didn't even ask the kid if he wants to go, which is like, really? You're going to be that parent? Like, such a red <laughs> flag for mom right there. It's just like, why do you want this kid to go to this thing? So that, that those are good ones. Uh, those are the only three I could find on Reddit. So uh, <laughs> listeners, if you if you have situations where you feel like there was some tension with somebody, um, feel free to hop on Reddit. Feel free to share. And share it with the world because it's interesting. We'll discuss your personal intimate details <laughs> here on the and podcast. I'll put it in the Spotify uh, Q&A. That'll be, that'll be the Spotify Q&A is, uh, have you ever, do you, oh, yeah. do you have an Am I the Asshole story um, that you want to share? F1 or not? Why not? Let's learn about you guys. <laughs> yes, we love you guys. It's uh, true. S- speaking of love for them. Some of you guys have messaged me saying that you love the podcast, that you listen to it. And I just want to give you guys a shout out because while I am not the best at always responding to my messages because I just can't emotionally handle all of them, 
it doesn't mean I don't love you. I love you guys so much. And I love it that you love the podcast. And so I wanted to just take a moment to give that love to you guys. But I want to make sure I get everybody. And some of you guys, um, I don't know your name. So I'm just going to say your handle, the handle that you have on here. Of course, I feel like one of our A1 since day ones, Max oh, Hiller. Yeah. You've yeah. been here repping the gravel trap since the very beginning. We see you. We know you. We love you. Thank you so much for listening. TJ, thanks for listening. So glad you're here. You are TJ underscore Chamberlain underscore 11. So you know which TJ I'm talking about. Not that we have multiple TJs, but I'm sure there are a lot of TJs out there. Thanks so much for listening since June. So exciting. Glad you love the show. Aaron Machado, also known as Kamikaze mm -hmm. Machado. Fun name. Thank you so much for listening. It is so much fun to have you here, and I appreciate the love. And D. Jolie, or unless that's your whole name, if it's Jolie with a D. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We love having you here. And honestly, it's so fun to hear from you guys that you're enjoying the podcast because I, I don't want to speak for everybody here, but sometimes it feels like I'm just, I'm just talking to Christina and Buck and like no one <laughs> listens to this. So it's really nice to know that you guys oh. listen and you love it and you care and we care about your feedback. We read it. We take it into consideration. Yes. I yes, the whole wardrobe has changed since we got some feedback. No, not at all. Really? <laughs> oh, I was like, the listeners have affected your wardrobe. I had no idea. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Chris Lewis and Kevin Kelly. I think they're some, they are recent converts. Um, nice. But they've hey. been messaging with them on Instagram. Uh, they're really cool. Thanks for listening, guys. Alrighty. Glad you're here. And we'll have to do this again, too, because I know that there are people that I'm missing, but I, I mean it when I say I love reading the messages where you guys reference something from the podcast or say that you love listening to the podcast. It's so fun. Another person that is an active listener of the podcast, David, uh, I hope I say your last name right, David. I know we message all the time, but I've never spoken to you in person. So David Loynan, he's based in Austin, Texas. Nice. Really cool guy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. Big fan of you. Nice. And your dog. Oh, love when they have dogs. dogs. <laughs> me too. <laughs> like me. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening to the Gravel Trap F1 podcast. And we'll see you next time after Japan. Whoop, whoop. Wait a second. How did I not know that you've read Sarah J. Mass? This is a big moment, people. They're in the background of every video, Caroline! <laughs>Christina from Gravel Trap F1 here, and I've got some big news. As you're well aware, Formula One is not the only open wheel racing out there. So, the Gravel Trap is expanding its repertoire into IndyCar with a new podcast called Gravel Trap Indie, hosted by myself and our newest member of the Gravel Trap family, Justin Reschke. That's right, Christina. If you're a longtime IndyCar fan or an F1 fan who's been curious about Indy but don't know enough about it yet, 
we're making a show for you. We'll be covering both current events, races, driver market news, as well as digging deep into the rich history of IndyCar to recount some of the most exciting stories ever to come out of the sport. Join us. It's going to be a blast. Look for Gravel Trap Indy wherever you get your podcasts.